Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Hartnell. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Friday. I'm Dave DeFore, and that means it's Nerder. She wrote, joining me as they do each and every week, my main man, Seth Partnow. What's up, Seth? How you doing, Dave? Not too bad. Not too bad. Sun is shining out here in LA. And my other guy, Mo DeKeel. What's up, Mo? It's shining, Dave, but it's still cold. It is chilly. Nobody told me it's, it dropped below 60 in, in California. It's like, it's like really, really, really cold. And I don't know, like, it's uncomfortable, Dave. I, I mean, Seth, you might not understand. But, like, it's a tough uh, uh, situation to deal with. I have to, I'm layered up. <laughs> oh, man, I love to live in California. Uh, so nice. Guys, uh, I want to jump right in because we are one week out from the trade deadline. We got a lot to get to today. But we got to jump to our favorite things first. And guys, after 265 days, the man is back. Danny Green made his season debut for the Memphis Grizzlies last night. And we're not going to talk about what happened on the court because it doesn't matter. What matters is the world is back on the right track. Danny Green's out there running around, bow-legged, ultra-efficient jogging, uh, just making stuff happen. He shot a couple air balls, but hey, man, this guy just came back from a major injury at an old age, and he's back. Listeners, bet your ass. If Danny Green went four or five from three, we'd only be talking about that. It would be a whole (laughs) different way he would have entered into this conversation. Just guarantee it. But Dave, I just got to ask you, like the moment he touched on the court, court, did like your, the, the, the hairs that are no longer on your head stand up a little bit or was there a little weird moment or I'll be honest here. Uh, So I was on the ding last night and um, you know, I had that game on, on the big screen and I had uh, the other game on the iPad and I was focused on the iPad when he checked in. So I missed the moment. Um, But I will say this, the Memphis Grizzlies needed an adult to be out there. Um, I, I thought his, his timing on defense Looked great. I mean, he looked like Danny Green on defense. He was rotating. He was in the right spots. The the three ball, all right, it, it was a little rough. couple of air balls. But this guy's coming back from a, from a major knee injury after only 265 days. Uh, I don't know if you guys realize that. Very short turnaround, especially when you're old. And, uh, yeah, he, he his legs aren't under him yet. But if he's ready to go by the time the postseason starts, that's a huge acquisition for the Memphis Grizzlies. He's what they need if he, if he can get healthy and provide some value on the offensive end. But uh, defensively, I thought he looked great right away. I just tuned that all out. That, that I just heard, wow, <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Uh, after Dave, Dave basically said that the games don't matter, which was, you know, threw me for a loop, but okay. <laughs> well, his his game in particular. Oh, I see, like, I you know what I mean? I like, it's just nice to see Danny Green out there running okay. around doing I, stuff. Right. I understand what you mean now. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, it, we all knew this was going to be a big moment for you, Dave. I'm actually shocked you didn't fly out. That's all. I'm a little bit disappointed. I, I will I, say, I, 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 all right. This is like, 
just between us, you know, me, you two, and everybody listening, I really did think about flying out because it would have been an amazing bit. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, the storm, uh, like it's cold out there and they've got ice and stuff. And I, I'm not trying to be stuck. Um, I, 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 you said the storm and Seth's eyes lit up thinking you were going to talk about the rains we had in L.A. Oh, yeah. No, I could see I, Seth's eyes no. were like, <laughs> he's all right. I, I'm going to Utah in a couple of weeks for, for the All-Star game. And uh, that's about all the cold I, I think I've got in me for this winter. Uh, all right, guys. So, yeah, Danny Green, everyone's favorite thing this week should be Danny Green. But uh, what do you guys got? I'm I'm going to go with a oldie but a goodie. And just Jokic's passing. If you go watch that game against New Orleans the other day, like he's dropping some of these passes in a way that it's it's ridiculous. Michael Porter Jr. cuts back door on on setting a screen, and he just flips a little pass just kind of over his shoulder. I mean, where the the pass, which I'm 100% convinced was on purpose, off the backboard to Aaron Gordon, who ended up getting fouled on the play, so it's not even an assist, but just the just Jokic is passing on this stuff where he's he's just doing stuff now to see if he can do it like the idea to throw a pass off the backboard and and I know it's not his first time but the the balls to do that in a game that was relatively close is amazing and to do it so effortlessly it's just kind of a uh, annoying um and fun and that's why it was just my favorite thing are we absolutely sure it was meant to be an off the backboard pass? Yes. And okay. I'm, yes. I'm, I've looked at it more than I've looked at the Zabruder film. <laughs> I've slowed it down to like frame by frame and everything. And, and you know, it's, okay. I, I'm now convinced because <laughs> he's it done it a few just, times, but it was, but Seth, the thing about it is it was perfectly placed. Like the other thing that's impressive about it is, Aaron Gordon was ready for it. It was almost like, oh, he's doing it now. Like he's doing the thing. And it's it's just amazing. I'm ready to I'm ready to see him take it up a notch. When when Jokic posts up, I want to see him throw an alley oop off the backboard across the lane for Aaron Gordon. I want to see Aaron Gordon coming from the from the uh, from the weak side corner and catching a lob off the glass. That I, I actually I've been a proponent of passing off the backboard for a long time. I, I don't understand why it isn't a common thing at this point. I mean, when you watch the way the guys play now compared to 30 years ago, you would think that that would just be something that happens. There are a few guys that use the backboard to pass, but Jokic with the high post, high wing post entry pass off the backboard is something. I, I Can anybody else even do it? This all I, feels like an like a like a like a, a several years late protest of Aaron Gordon getting robbed of the dunk contest. <laughs> a little bit, but I think I've seen, I feel like Luca's done that before or tried to do off the backboard pass, but here, if Jokic really wants to blow me away, I want the elbow pass that Jason Williams did in the all-star game. <laughs> now, if he wants to really blow me away, like if I see that one, that's it guys, I might stop watching basketball. We've peaked. His, his arms might be too long to effectively do that. To be honest with you, I think that's a, that's a short guy pass or, you know, relatively short guy pass. Uh, all right, Seth. What's what's your favorite thing this week? Uh, my favorite thing is uh, is is kind of watching guys learn on the job and a, re a reminder that like these things that we kind of criticize are hard. Uh, there's a a little thing that happened on Tuesday when the Lakers ended up beating the Knicks in overtime. Uh, right near the end of the first half, about three minutes left. So in we're at the fourth quarter, prime use it or lose it territory. 
Um, looked like Darvinham wanted to call a timeout and was telling Dennis Schroeder call time. And then he realized, oh, wait, we're just above three minutes. The next media timeout is is there. So I'll lose a timeout if we call it here. But he distracted Schroeder enough that quickly came, came Emmanuel quickly came up behind and stole the ball, ran down for a layup. And then going to the timeout the next time, like uh, Darvin was like, that's on me. It's my bad. Um, and it's just like all a reminder of all the things that you have to take into account you know, certainly as a head coach, but as a point guard, as a basketball player, and um, that no one knows them all instantly. Like yeah. rookie coach and rookie player, there, there's some similarities there. And I just, you know, getting reminded of of how much is actually going on is always, I always enjoy. Yeah, we we tend to pay attention to the physical. And then, and then with coaches, most of what we pay attention to is stuff that they, I mean, rotations which eh, you know we can debate but also play calling which they don't call plays all that often not every coach is calling plays all that often but the the game management stuff um you know if you if if we were like judging coaches the game management stuff that the timeout usage those are some of the big things and it's the hardest to learn cuz timeouts like when you're coming up as a coach i didn't ha- i never had to think about oh i got to take this timeout at this time because we've got a television show to produce. You, it's hard to learn that until you're actually doing it uh, on the fly. So, you know, uh, first year coaches in particular, right? Like this is why that it's important to sit on the front row of the bench for a couple of years. Cause you learn the ebbs and flows of the game. It's really important. And it, it actually came back, came up on the playback stream Seth and I did the other day where somebody just said, Terry Stotts is better than Chauncey Billups. And, and, you know, Seth and I both immediately just said, yeah, Terry Stotts had 15 years of coaching. He's yeah. the the job he did in Portland was the second time or third time he was a head coach. Uh, you know, it wasn't it's it, this is Chauncey Billups' first go around as a head coach. And I think, you know, we're gonna dive deeper into this kind of stuff down the road. But I think the important thing that Seth said is just learning on the job is such an important thing as a coach. We give players the ability to develop and grow. It's the same thing with coaches. And I think that's kind of one of those things that we gets under talked about in a way with, with not just coaches, but just like giving coaches chances to kind of figure it out and, and, and go through it. Yeah. I mean, coaches get fired after one year. Often coaches, coaches win coach of the year and get fired. I mean, it's yeah, it's a, it's a hard job. Yeah. And the other, and the, I mean, one of the other is, is that the stuff that is most easily visible and measurable to us isn't always the, um, the, the most important. Um, I the, the other day at Dunkdown, I wrote about this. I was just looking at timeouts. I was actually um, helping Eric name out because he's doing it. He's got a story coming out soon. We talked to Bud about use it or lose it timeouts. Um, and unsurprisingly, if you don't know, you can only carry two timeouts in the last three minutes of the game. Uh, Mike Budenholzer in his time with the Bucks has been like by some margin, the, uh, the, the guy who's like, Oh, well, I'm going to use it uh, almost regardless of circumstances. If you were going to like take a look at timeout usage, I think that's like generally speaking, good timeout, a good timeout usage is knowing that you get, you have that there. You can get your guys rest. You can do whatever you want to do. Call that in the last minute before uh, under three minutes. And some more questionable ones are, I think in the last little bit of a game, the most important stuff is to control possession, control the clock. So using them at like, you know, 245, 150, I generally think those are probably bad timeouts, like the oh, crap, stop a run. 
you you want that timeout much more in the last minute to to advance the ball or something. You're you're speaking my language. Yeah, I I, so, I lose it every time it, that happens. So, the two coaches in the NBA who have called the most timeouts between three minutes and one minute of the fourth quarter are Ty Lue and Steve Kerr. So, it, I I don't think we would we would say oh those are terrible coaches, but something we say okay that may be something they don't do super well. And you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Maybe their challenges. Maybe those are we're blowing them out. Let's get our guys out. Sort of some, but it's by a decent margin. They call the most in in that above a minute under the use it or lose it mark timeout. How, how many of those are challenges though? Because it does feel like that three minute to one minute mark. Uh, I see a lot of coaches using their challenge, um, which you know we've kind of talked about not on the show. I, I think that there you should have some sort of methodology yeah. to when you're willing to challenge a call, and especially if you don't uh, like if it's not an obvious one. If you if you're if your assistant that's responsible for for making the call isn't quite sure, you should do it within those timeout windows that you've already established for your for yourself. You know, um, trying to do that one right before three minutes, for instance, to use it or lose it is a great time to challenge a call if you have a bad call. The the example though of those two coaches are also two very veteran heavy teams, where you know especially Kerr can trust those guys to just run stuff and find and find game, their yeah. way. And and you know the Clippers are the Clippers. It's They're not running anything on, anyway. Who knows who knows who's on the court uh in in, in those instances. But yeah. I think you know there's but they are they, they are usually pretty heavy veteran stuff so it's a little bit different in how they kind of operate. But it's really interesting like just timeout usage is, is such a very important thing um and near and dear to my heart cuz I always kind of could jump up and down. Well, guys, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about some of the buyers and sellers for next week's trade deadline. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Guys, the Toronto Raptors are holding the trade market hostage. They're not taking any calls until they get back from this road trip. Uh, hmm. They've got some guys to move. I think they have guys that they have to move. Are they the only team selling right now? Are they? I, I don't no. know if they're selling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not, it. not are they the only teams? Are they selling? Not just are they the only team? Are, I, I I I will say this: They are the only team anyone is talking about as a seller. I think that there have to be a couple of other teams, but you know, are they sellers? I think the the important thing for them is, yeah. I mean, first off, the whole trade market hinges on them. Like I could see the you know, as you said perfectly, that they're holding it hostage because yeah, teams aren't 
teams aren't going to make a smaller trade because they might need those pieces to make a bigger trade if Toronto's willing to move a guy like OG Ananobi or something like that. You know, it's, I think they're in that kind of, I think they were early on in the phase of let's see what this, let's play this out and see what it looks like. I think it's pretty clear at this point what it looks like. And, you know, we're going to pat ourselves on the back here. I think we were pretty early on on like this stuff's, uh, you know, a bit uh, screwed up and wonky. I think they should be sellers. Uh, what what they're going to do, who knows? But I think they have a lot of guys that it doesn't seem like they're going to bring back. Fred Van Vliet sounds like he's going to opt out. It sounds like Gary Trent Jr. is going to opt out. Those are guys I don't know if they're necessarily going to go out of their way to resign. And at that point, you got to make a move and move them and get something for them. Better to get something for them and lose them for nothing. But I don't think they're the only sellers, Dave, or possible sellers, we should say. So what's the list look like then? Um, if we're going to call, I'll call Toronto a seller. I think that they ought to be, whether they are or not, we'll, we'll find out, but they are a seller in my mind. Um, who else? I mean, I, I think Utah is, is an obvious one, although they've, you know, they've still are playing pretty well and Will Hardy's doing a great job coaching them, but I think, I think Utah's probably one, right? I think they'd be fine moving. Like there's, there's Pete, there's players. They'd be fine moving. Like, I think they'd probably be fine moving Malik Beasley to give uh, Oche Agbaje, like give him more runway to develop as a rookie. Um, I don't think they're any, in any necessarily rush anywhere else. It's, they are, here's, here's the deal. They're in the best position as a seller. Cause like, first off we have, we just say buyer and seller and we really need to tear these things up in terms of shoppers and sellers. Like they're the kind of seller that's like, eh, maybe. Like if, if if something blows us away, yeah, we'll we'll sell it. They've made it clear, I think, that Lori Markinen, Walker Kessler, and uh, uh, help me out, Seth. How did you say his name? I'm I'm so bad at this. Uh, Agabi Abaji Abaji Abaji. Yeah. Apologies, Abaji. I think those guys are for them. They're not moving, and don't call about them. They're not interested in trading them. I think everybody else is gettable, depending on the price. And I just think they're in that perfect sort of. Uh, situation where they could just be like, we don't have to trade these dudes. We're not eager to. You got to kill us with an offer. And I think that's going to be the thing. And I think guys like Kelly Olenek, Malik Beasley, I think even Vanderbilt's going to all have uh, value. I think Mike Conley's name's flirted, been floated around a ton. I, one name I haven't heard a lot was Jordan Clarkson. I think I wouldn't surprise me even if he gets moved. But like they have pieces that other teams are going to be interested in. I I don't think we should we should completely rule Toronto out of that. They're not in quite the same catbird seat that that uh, Utah is. But you know they're they're you say you should get something for them. There you can easily you, you know you make the wrong deal, you get a bad contract in. Like you might have been better off letting the guy walk for nothing. But for the like for the other players that people are interested in, your you know your Ananobis, your Siakams, whoever else, there's no rush. Like the, the the if they don't like the deal they're gonna get now they, the, it's not like those guys are gonna lose trade value. Yeah, no, I, I, but I think it gets a little more interesting. Like the idea of getting OJ Ananobi with a year and a half on his contract and 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 for having him this season is is probably worth another first round pick versus okay, well we're trading him and he's we got to play the dance of his year, one year rental and this, like there's, it's a, a, a little bit more stuff. He's there. got like, more value right now than he would because later. you're, because you're getting because first off and, and 
like I think it drives people nuts, but like I do think he can be the finishing touch for a championship contender. Like I just look at him that mm-hmm. way, and I think that's that's those are the teams that should be in on him. I don't think he's a guy you can start your rebuild with. I don't think he's the second piece you bring in. Uh, looking at you, New York Knicks, um, Aaron but Gordon I think to the Nuggets, right? I think right. he's that he's that kind of finishing move. But like I think that that matters more now than it would in the off season. There's and a I lot think- of there's a lot of smoke with OG in Memphis. Um, I I I think that if they could somehow add him to what they have, right to that core, that makes me feel a lot better about Memphis. I don't know how they do it without giving up Danny Green, though. So you know that's that's yeah, a it's tough a tough one. tough deal for you that's if that were one. to happen. But they get to return Danny Green back to where he wanted one of his millions of championships. True. You it know, would, it would write the ship in Toronto. Yeah, I'm all in on I'm all in on him. I think that's who should be going in and should be the most aggressive going after him because I also think he gives them insurance with the the Dylan Brooks free agency at the end of this year. And I think that's an important piece. And I think this is one thing I know I've talked a lot and I just want to end it here on this my point on this one. These windows are never as wide or open as long as we think they are, or the hallway or whatever we were calling Thank it. You. A few weeks <laughs> yeah, ago. The hallway. It's never as long as it is. And this thing shrinks so quickly. It could be a quick, it could be anything like a stupid wet spot, knock on wood. It could be anything, you know. And I think that's an important thing of to understand that like this thing turns on you real quick. So don't waste your chances. And I think, you know, a lot of Memphis people are like, no, we don't want to do, you know, like why? I'm like, nah, man, this is a move. I equate this to Drew Holiday for the Bucks. Like this is a finishing touch move. I don't think it's as good as Drew, but I think this is that type of level of movement. You do what you have to. And Memphis has the assets. Like that that's the the thing about Memphis. Like they have, they're in a really, really great position. They've got some young guys that they can throw into a package. Uh, they do have Danny Green's salary, which, you know, can help get them to a lot of deals, um, you know, they, they're a team that's poised to, to strike if they will do it. Now, that being said, I mean, they've been struggling without Steven Adams here recently. I wonder if that might make them uh, feel like, okay, we're not we're not quite ready um, to make that kind of push. Uh, I would love to see them do it, though. Um, Toronto is going to control the market, but there's a couple other teams that, that may be sellers. I mean, the Spurs have Jakob Pertl and, and uh, McDermott. He's available, uh, I, from what I understand. I mean, those are guys that they're good pieces. Pirtle could be a huge piece for for a contender. Maybe he's had a rough year. I mean, he's and on a of it, really awful. Yeah, team. So, but there, but there are players who you know, in 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 some of my stuff, like there are players who can show up as decently decent rim protectors on bad teams, and he is someone who's been a very good rim protector across his career and he's and he's those numbers have collapsed this year now again how much of that is the team some but also he's you know getting a little older not the most mobile it doesn't take you know we i think we saw like this the start of the year with rudy gobert doesn't take a lot of a decline in in movement ability for to go from getting there just in time to bother the shot to getting there just in time to foul the guy as he lays it in i i think the I think I'm kind of with you a little bit, Seth, and don't let Fred Katz hear you because he will come charging at you. Um, the My problem with Pirtle is there's not a lot of teams that can really, that will give up a lot for a dude that's a one-year rental, or, or not even that, like a three-month rental. Like, he's going to command a big salary, I think, in is the he, market. He's going to get around $20 yeah. million, dude. Like, I mean, it's, it's, wow. 
Yeah. Wow. But like, it's yeah. going to happen. Like it's, it's not, and, and, and everybody get used to these numbers going completely bonkers over the next few years. This is going to be the the case. Um, but like who really needs a starting center? Cause like the places that need backup centers, I don't know if they're going to give up a first round pick for a dude that they're, they're going to lose. And it's funny considering what I just said about Memphis, but like Denver needs a backup center, but do they need one so badly that it's going to cost them that the Jakob hurdle playing 10 minutes or 12 minutes in the playoffs makes a, a, a big difference. Like I, I, I think that's the challenge with the hurdle trade. What team would be better off not taking whatever they're going to offer for Jakob Pertle and just offer it to Minnesota for Nasri instead? The Clippers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, look, Nasri is going to be a free agent this summer. And um, yeah, did you guys, you caught the game last night uh, yeah. that he played Minnesota. Um, there was that a guy, lot of Nas Reed down A lot the of Nas Reed. Nas Reed game winning, you know, game ceiling dunk at the end oh, off the oh, offensive almost rebound. Almost too much. Almost too much because off of his own miss on the corner yeah. three. <laughs> he was cooking. He was cooking. Um, and I think Nas Reed, I mean, that could be a game changer for, for a bunch of teams. Um, uh, what about Charlotte? I, I actually, I, before we go to Charlotte, I there was a, a team that I'm, because of everything that, that's gone on, I am... Just gonna throw it out from left field that could make a change of directions. The Suns, obviously, they've got the Jay Crowder. Um, there's the, the 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 new ownership situation could mean a sort of a change in in direction. Um, I, I I don't think that I don't think it would probably surprise anyone if it if it turned out that that Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton were would be happier being as far apart from each other as possible. You don't say. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there's been, there's been little tiny little rumblings about Chris Paul. So in terms of a team that could choose to change direction, I just want to flag them as, as, you know, a team that could surprise us. I think, I think Aiton could be had, but I think it's going to be a, a, a pretty big price. You know, and I think, and I, I I think it will be in that sense. And I think the other stuff, but the, the Chris Paul stuff, I just find it fun. Who's trading for him? Like it's in, in, in all honesty, I know the contract's not, not guaranteed the next couple of years, but it's, but the guaranteed dates like the draft, like it's your, you're, you're picking him up, you're picking it up early and who's going to give up. So first off, a lot of money to make it work. And then you have the, the, the challenges of that stuff. And I don't see the sun's willing to take that much of a step back after just being at the finals a few years ago. Like, I think that's, you're not getting a lot back for Chris Paul. And I don't I think you're, you it's a dumb Angela Russell. Yeah. You're not. No, they're not. They're, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to slap you. So now you got yeah. Fred Hatch coming down <laughs> and I'm coming. You're just lucky. It's cold as hell in Milwaukee. I just, that's, I'm going to wait till the springtime, but like you, you got to watch for that stuff. I think Aiton's more, more movable and can bring back more. That would be the mm-hmm. move if I were them to take a look at. If you were going to reboot, I mean, what are you rebooting around Booker and Bridges? Bridges? Um, you know, I know Cam, Cam, Johnson. Cam Johnson's going to be a free agent this summer. Uh, he's going to have, I mean, people are going to toss some money his way. Um, that That's a hard reboot uh, if you go ahead and move on from Chris Paul and, and move Aiton. But I think Aiton, man, he ought to get a big haul. That guy's a real, I mean, he's a good player. I, I'm not sure... You know, I think Indiana was interested in him, but now, you know, they've locked in Miles Turner, and which is great. That's a good move for them. 
Um, Toronto apparently was working on a sign and trade for Aiden. So maybe there's something there, but um, if the Suns trade Aiden, I mean, can they, can they replace that production? Can they, can they make an eight and trade and just continue to act like a contender? I, I just don't know. Maybe they could get Jakob Pertl in some sort of three team deal or something like that. Oh, I was actually kind of thinking Pertl for with with Crowder and then a buyout. As long as they can, the Spurs can get a pick out of it, they'd probably be happy with that. Yeah. Um, that was that was just kind of floating in my mind in that. But that's also I don't know how the money works or anything like that. Well, um, guys, uh, then. Let's talk about Charlotte. I mean, they've got a couple of guys. They've got Jalen McDaniels, who who's good young player, who, but he's going to be an unrestricted free agent, so he's likely available. You've got Mason Plumley, who serviceable backup big that would look good in a couple of places that they'd like the to dump. Saddest trade in the league right now Guys, is, this, is James Wiseman for Mason Plumley. This is it the makes trade sense, I want. but it's so sad. I, look, throw it if they can just if they can also get Jalen McDaniels. Um, I love that trade for the Warriors. Uh, I think McDaniels is a good player. Plumley, you know, he can, he can do stuff for them coming off the bench. Uh, but that is a sad trade. What about John Collins? Is is this the year that they finally trade John Collins after after putting him on the trade block before he signed his extension? So you know what my favorite John Collins and I've you know I've spent the first half of the year trading John Collins in my mind to half the league, if not more. Uh, we mentioned Utah having a lot of kind of, I think, I think John Collins in Utah would be really interesting. I think, you know, if, if, who starts, I don't know. I think you have 96 good minutes at the four and five versatile minutes at the four and five with marketing Kessler Collins. And I think Utah has guys who would help Atlanta. Like I think, you know, Atlanta needs shooting Malik Beasley. I think, you know, we can argue about how, how good Vanderbilt actually is defensively, but I can certainly see Atlanta thinking he's, he's pretty good. Um, so that, and some, some pick action. And, and, and I think that's a, that's one that wouldn't not make sense to me. Makes too much sense. Not going to happen. Yeah. They're not, listen, John <laughs> Collins is the new miles Turner. That's it, man. Like, it's just every year we're going to do this. They've changed their front office. It's Landry Fields now and Kyle Korver and those guys running the show for, instead of Travis Schlink. And I still don't think they're going to trade John Collins. Like, I just think every year we're going to hear more and more rumors. And he's just he's going to be that guy for the next couple of years on this deal. And it's going to wear on him and frustrate him, I think. But I I would like to see him find a new home. I just don't see it happening. What What's worse, not being traded or, or playing with Trey Young every day? That's that's what I want to know. Which one which one's going to drive him more nuts? I, I John Collins is too good of a player to be sitting on the trade block without offers coming, and it, it makes me think Atlanta is asking for a lot. Well, I think that comes to the problem with this trade market is teams are also overvaluing their guys. Everybody needs to go for a first round pick, or you know what I mean. I think we're getting a little bit wild here in some of this eric gordon's been on the block for a first round pick for the past few years even now now he's a rental at this point and he's still on the block for a first round pick they won't move him for anything less as the stories and things like that i feel like you have a lot of uh overvaluing of your guys sometimes and i think that tends to happen i think that's actually my concern in memphis to a degree of them not wanting to make a run at this is we draft so well we don't we want to keep the draft picks. They're valuable to us. I'm like, that won't help you win a championship. 
But I think that's a problem, and I think that's the case with Memphis, or excuse me, with uh, John Collins in Atlanta too. You guys, you guys feel like this season, the the trade, while the trade deadline may be a little bit more dead, with the parity, you feel like we may see a little bit of a wilder swing post trade deadline. So like if, if a team can like Jay Crowder, for instance, if he's in Jay Crowder NBA shape, he might be a swing piece given how much parody there is in the league. Like this is just uh, what could be a huge acquisition. I mean, I, I look, look at Milwaukee who could really use a little bit of depth on the wing. Um, you know, I think Jay Crowder, if he's able to play, that's a huge pickup. Is there, is there any team out there that you feel like well, can really benefit from the trade deadline? I don't, I don't know about Crowder specifically, but in the West, and this has been the case forever, the Clippers in fourth place in the West are four games ahead of the Lakers in 13th place. So, I mean, yes, I think there will be a wild swing in the standings after the trade deadline. Whether or not that has anything to do with that player actually getting <laughs> traded is, you know. Yeah. Uh, what about the Lakers? Are they going to move Russ or... They're going to ride this thing out, guys. I don't think there's a trade for them to move Russ that makes them a championship team. Well, Chris Paul. Not going to happen. I don't see that. I don't see, you know, Phoenix being interested in in, in Russ. I mean, maybe those picks are going to be really interesting in that regard and, and, and so on. But that's the setback for them. That's not a, a, you know, like something where you're going to go, oh, wow, the, the Suns made a move to really go for it. You know, we, yeah. we, you talked about just how far behind, you know, just how close the Lakers are to the Clippers. The Suns are closer. <laughs> like, why would they get, why would they, and, and, and they're not even healthy when they get Devin Booker back, who's supposed to come back next week. Who knows what this team is going to be? And I think that's the, the challenger. I just think the Lakers are screwed. They, and also they basically put themselves in, in boom bust territory at the deadline because of trading, you know, their, their, their minor assets and matching salary and mid, size matching salary early for for Rehachimara. So I I think that they have they have they have certainly shrunk their their range of options just from a mechanics mechanical standpoint. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash show 23 and get started. Well, and I mean, by not trading Russ, they're going to just lose that salary. This summer, I mean, it, he's gonna go somewhere else. I mean, that salary's off the books. But what, what do they wind up with? Something like thirty-one million or something in cap space if he just walks, which is enough, I guess, to improve for next year. But I, I still think when you're this close and you've got LeBron, I mean, LeBron's playing pretty high-level basketball. 
got to take a swing. I think the the concern is it's not like Russ and two picks gets you Pascal Pascal Siakam. It's not like Russ right. and 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 two picks gets you the guy that makes you a championship team. And they're they're you know Rob Polinka has even said it's does this make us a championship team or not? And and they're not interested in incremental growth because you know what. They blew it already. Yeah, clearly they're growth. not interested in incremental growth, giving their 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 uh, low level signings over the year. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, like they've just screwed themselves over and over again in this. And they, Seth said it in terms of they just backed themselves into this position. I think I like the Hachimura deal for them. I think that's fine. I still don't think that even moves the needle for them that much. But the it's just I don't see a way. And even before that trade, I just didn't see a trade out there that was going to bring them something that I'd go like, oh, crap, the, re- the rest of the West better watch out because now the Lakers got a, a, a third piece, even if they pulled something for Fred Van Vliet. So I, I agree with you, but then, I, then I'm coming back to does it matter that there probably isn't? I mean, I think there are some teams, you, know, you were talking earlier about Windows, with the Lakers, I think the Blazers are a little bit like you've you've chosen as the Blazers that you're ride or die with Dame at this point. So, you know, I brought up Aiton earlier, um, you know, Nurkic, Josh Hart and a couple picks for Aiton. Does that make you a championship team? Probably not. Is that does that give you the best team you're likely to put around Dame in in like what's remaining of his late peak? something like that like it's go time for them it's go time for the Bucs it's go time for for the Lakers like regardless of of how likely it is like you're you know your stars are gonna age out soon anyway uh so you know with the the, like this two timelines nonsense that the Warriors tried to make you know popular it just it it, but it is not fact the Warriors had that luxury of doing the two timelines just because they got they they had that year where they got those draft picks and and the trade and right. got uh Wiggins and the draft pick from Minnesota and all of that. I don't like, think for, they have two timelines. What's that? I don't think they have two timelines. I think when no, Steph they, is not a top five player, they're not a championship team. No, no, for sure. I'm not arguing with that, but I'm just saying more in that. I, I'm just saying they had a luxury of trying to do sure, the right. two timelines. In that instance, it was kind of just it, it ended up they were there with that and not so much. They weren't planning that. They would have much rather have been good that year and just had the Minnesota lottery pick um, with all that. But like when it comes to the Blazers, like this is another team that like, yo, they might need to look at moving Simons because I'm just at the point now, like we're really doing another small backcourt. C- yeah, no CJ again. CJ and with CJ, right. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? We're really doing this again? Like, it doesn't make sense. And that eight and trade, like, I like it. It's interesting. But I also don't think it makes Portland that much better because, again, their problem's the backcourt defensively. Right. Like, it, and, and 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 I think it's that's the stuff I look at with them going, like, what are you, what are you guys doing? And yeah, I just have a lot of questions for them. It really, like, they have the offensive firepower. Like they can they can lose Simon and they can fill it in with a guy who can who can D up and maybe shoot three. And they, I think that they wind up being a better team. Are they I a mean, better team if they swap Simons for Caruso? I don't like I don't think that's I don't a think plaus- so. plausible trade. No, but I don't think so. I, I think, think they, they are you need a I guy. Think they're, they're, I, I think they're better defensively. I think well I, you are. Yeah. But your 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 offense has never been their problem. Right. And and right. even with Grant you know, we'll, we'll, we'll help fill that void. Stuff like that. Caruso will make the occasional cut. He'll make Dame's life a little bit easier. But more importantly, he'll defend. And, hey, that's going to be the key come playoff time. Like, and I know it's weird saying this after they've come off probably their biggest win of the year in Memphis this this past 
you know, week. But like, it it it's not something that I look at their future and go, wow, this team's going to be set up. They're going to tie themselves to Grant with a, a a pretty nice contract in the offseason, and now they're just stuck. Are the Knicks going to move Obi Toppin and Cam Reddish? If they can move Cam Reddish, they're going to move Cam Reddish. He's on play, right? Yeah. I mean, like he, I, what was it? I think somebody was saying like 27 consecutive coaches decisions. DMPs, DMP. like, like, you know, like you're, if Reddish is just in that weird zone of like, man, nobody wants future him. Laker. Right. I mean, isn't that how that's going to work out? Well, Obi Toppin is at least an interesting guy and he's kind of stuck behind Randall on the depth chart, right? Like he doesn't get enough minutes um, to really see like, what he's got is he a guy that you take a flyer on if you if you're if you're a team that's like could use some youth i mean he's also a guy playing for a team you know we've we've made the point about james wiseman not being in in a bad spot for making himself look good i think there's a little bit of that with obi toppin like his his best skills especially offensively are movement and motor and the knicks have a pretty stationary offense and they, they they don't do a lot of cutting. They don't do a lot of, of the kinds of like just high energy stuff that, that Obi Toppin is good at. So, you know, finding him, a, he, you know, I don't think any of us liked that draft pick at the time, but they then have also not really, not really put him in a position to best use the talents that caused them to pick him in that spot. I think, you know, when I look at the Knicks, I mean, I I'd love to see them move Obi. I don't think they're going to, you know, and I, I'd love to see him in a place like Charlotte where he could really stretch his legs and 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 go nuts. But I think the guy they end up moving is Isaiah Hartenstein. And I think that's the backup center a lot of teams should be looking at if they can't get Nas Reed. And I think that's a guy that can help a lot. He doesn't doesn't quite fit for Tibbs. I know he's playing more now with the, the injury to Mitchell Robinson, but like he just doesn't quite do it for, for, for the Knicks. I think he could be a guy like if he goes – to Denver to back up Jokic. I think that's a perfect fit. Well, it's funny you them. say that because I was thinking any Western Conference team that has to go through Denver should be calling about Hartenstein if they need a backup center. Um, and if Denver can get him, that's, I mean, because he's one guy who has done okay guarding Jokic. Um, I, I I like that matchup uh, when it popped up for the Clippers the last couple of years. Um, I mean, are we are we switching to, to, to talk more about teams that that have moves to make? Sure. You want to talk we about are now. Cleveland? What would one uh, the two teams <clears throat> kind of in in different spots? I think Miami is a little more in the you know all right we're not there now but it's now or never a little bit. And the, the other hand, like Cleveland, they're, they're they're obvious. It's obvious what piece they are away, but they're not necessarily in a rush. Yeah, it's. I mean, Miami is just like, I just don't know who's going to, what, what they're going to trade. Like, what are their assets? Like Kyle Lowry, like, I, oh, okay. You know, like who's really jumping. It was funny when the Clippers name was attached to to Kyle Lowry. I was like, oh, they need another old point guard. Okay, good. <laughs> um, You know, but it's, they're just in that tough spot with that. I, I, I'm sure they'd love to be players in this trade market, but you know, they're, they're the buyers that are, that are standing outside the window and just, you know, like, oh, man, I can't afford any of this. I think that's just the spot they're in. Cleveland's interesting because Cleveland has, and I know he plays a role for them, but has that expiring in Kevin Love. And I think that's something that you might want to try to package and put some stuff together to try to get 
fill that hole. And and as we said for Memphis, like, yo, the time is now. Like, and and we did the why not now pod not too long ago with and, and mentioned Cleveland. Like same thing. I mean, windows aren't long or hallways aren't as long as we think. I gotta keep remembering we're doing hallways <laughs> and not windows. Um, you know, and I think that's an important aspect there. And and yeah, they're playing with house money, but at the same time, like that might be the time to strike. So it they have a move. And- I just think if something comes along, that'll be interesting. They have love and they have Levert um, that, that they are able to move. And, and, you know, they've got a couple picks here and there. I think that they're committed to Okoro and, and developing him, which, I mean, he's been pretty good, especially in, in the last couple months. And, um, they do have a move to make, but they don't – this is a team that if they do – like, let's say they make a big splash. Is this a team that you feel like can come out of the East? I mean, if it, what what sort of guy could they get – to, to make them is the trade deadline. That's I'll tell you, it. No, this no, is I'll OG's tell you, world. I'll, I'll tell you what that, that would make me actually kind of jump. I don't think it ha- would happen or be out there, but if they could find a way to get Dory and Finney Smith from Dallas, like that would be, that would be the guy that's kind of perfect for them. And I think, you know, that's something that would fit seamlessly into them. The, the, the difference between them and let's say Memphis, like if Me- if neither of these teams do anything, I'm going to be harder on Memphis than I'm going to be on Cleveland because I think Cleveland has more, has a little bit more runway and, and, and more trying to figure out what this team is before, you know, or as we know what year, Memphis is. Right? Yeah. This is the first year of their stuff and it might be the only year we never know, but Memphis, we've, we know what this team is now. We've seen this team grow. We know what they need at this point and they have the assets to go do it. So it's, it's, that's the stuff with, with them. And, you know, like this week's podcast is going to be about what we think teams should do. And next week's podcast is going to be, you know, why didn't you do something or, 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 yeah. or th- looking what at who you should have what. done, yeah. what you should have done. Right. And I think that's going to be the, the more important thing there. And I think that's what you, that's what I look at with Cleveland in this regard is like, yeah, I'd like to see them do something if it makes sense, but they're also not, I don't think have to be in that rush. Well, uh, seems like a good place to wrap up. You guys got anything else before we go for the week? Trade deadline specific. Do you think Sacramento should do anything? Man, that's that's tricky. That's tricky. A good Hardenstein spot. That would be a good Hardenstein spot. It'd be a decent Pirtle spot, to be honest with you. I think he would help them quite a bit uh, defensively. Um, I, I just don't know. Sabonis is a weird fit next to uh, a big. Um, so that's the, that's the thing they have to figure out. No, I don't think like, yeah, I don't think I think you're thinking of who can we get when, when Sabonis is not in the game, who let's right, our backup yeah. five, not necessarily. I think they've, they've, they've discovered like they're, they're playing, they're playing five out around him mm-hmm. and that's their, that's their way forward. And I don't think, you know, I don't think trying to recreate a worse version of like a Twin Towers, like getting Pirtle and expecting him to start. Like, I think that doesn't do enough for what they're bad at and completely takes away what they're good at. So I like that's not really where I'm thinking for them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw another team out there and then I'll I'll, I'll retire to the depths of, uh, you know, just sitting and waiting for trades. Um, what should the Chicago Bulls do? Blow it up. Blow it up. Blow it up. This is, this is, this might be the, the, there might not be a bigger differential between should do and will do 
based on the incentives of the people actually doing the, the doing. If that makes sense. They didn't make right. my list because I don't expect them to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, because I don't expect them to do it, but the moves they should make are basically saying, Hey, everything we've done up till now was wrong. Trust Again. us to do this. Right. Yeah. Again. Yeah. And, and yeah. their picks lottery protected this year, right? Like it's a top eight or something or top four. It's, 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 it's not as protected as we think, but it's, it's, right. they're in a, they're in a, a very difficult situation. And I mean, it doesn't sound like Lonzo's playing at all this year. Like there's, it's like, what, I mean, what are you Caru- doing at this Caruso, point? Caruso is available. I think Zach Levine is gettable. And that's a guy, I mean, that's a, that's a market changer. Um, that's a guy that gets traded in the off season though. That's the, that's the, that's the hard trade to make in 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 season like last year it worked with ben simmons and james harden because we know that both wanted to get the hell out of their current <laughs> right, situations yeah, yeah. and contract wise works it gets tougher to do it in season with these guys that's also why i think a guy like og at 17 18 million is prime you know to to go and why his name keeps bouncing around because it's like that's a tradable contract that is a contract that gets moved money wise and easier to match up with yeah, you know, another guy we didn't mention, Christian Wood, might also be on on the move, and and he's been pretty good for Dallas. That's pretty decent contract that they've got there that they could float out. Um, what what like what purpose does that serve? Like what, I don't like. Listen, it's you know you tried it out. Yeah, are we are we when do we start talking about um, you know. There's been times where we've talked about the disservice organizations have done to great players in the early years of their career. How long do we have before we start talking about Dallas that way? Uh, at I least we are talking about Dallas that way. <laughs> yeah. So, Well, now, it's now. not a topic for this week, but probably yeah. pretty soon. And that's going to do it for this week, folks. Thank you guys for listening to the Athletic NBA Show. For Seth Partnow and Moda Keel, I'm Dave DeFore, and this has been Nerder. She wrote. Catch you guys next week for the trade deadline.